Well, good morning. Welcome to Apostles Houston. Uh, my name is David Cumbie. I'm the lead pastor. And if you're worshiping with us online, especially for the first time, I just want to uh, say thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I do want to let you know if you're joining us maybe for the first time, today's going to be a little bit different. Um, today might be more of, uh, of kind of what you might call a family meeting. Uh, there's some things the Lord has put on my heart that I just really want uh, to share with our church family here at Apostles. And so again, so glad you're here, uh, but just want to let you know that'll be a little bit different about today. Um, as I said, the Lord has put some things on my heart. And so today you'll have a little bit of me sharing some kind of self-examination, I think, for our community and also uh, just some dreaming together of kind of what ifs. Uh, and just so you know, this is, this is coming from um, uh, a significant amount of time just over the past few months, just praying and seeking the Lord and from a place of love for you all, for our church family, uh, and out of a sense of obedience to what God is doing right now in, in this moment, both in history, but also in the life of our church. Uh, and so first, maybe let me just give you a little context, uh, maybe for what God's been doing uh, in my own heart. And I think part of it is obviously COVID-19, you know, this began a few months ago and this terrible virus kind of hit and, and it was scary. Um, you know, it was killing people around the world. And so in response to that, out of a desire to care for each other and not spread this virus, we decided not to gather here on Sundays. And, um, and then things kind of began to shut down and we all went into lockdown. And then after that, we were kind of in our homes making the, the best of things for a long time. Um, and uh, fasting and praying and seeking the Lord all the way up to Pentecost. And honestly, I thought when we got to Pentecost and we talked about this, I thought, man, God's gonna do some amazing, something amazing, pour out his Holy Spirit in this really powerful way on our church and, and in our city and, and in the world. And I do think God has done something amazing. But honestly, you know, when we gathered here uh, last Sunday, with about 30 folks in our parking lot. It was great, it was such a gift to be together. But honestly, it wasn't that great. <laughs> it wasn't that great in part because we had to wear a mask, we were still social distancing. And so I just, I felt a measure of disappointment if I'm totally honest. And then on top of that, in that same moment, George Floyd is murdered. And we're watching this video over and over on our screens and, and then protests and, and even violent riots broke out. And so this, this is intense moment where we're having to face up to uh, just so much of, of the racism and the injustice that remains in our nation for people of color. And so I, I just was looking at this, like pandemic and this racial injustice and the church isn't gathering. And I just thought, what, God, what are you doing here? And then really over the last couple of weeks in particular for, for our community, um, as our states begun to reopen, the thing I've been wrestling with and many of us have been wrestling with is, so when are we gonna get back into this space and worship together? And so that became the all important question. When are we gonna gather together as a church in our sanctuary for worship? And the truth is what stood out to me facing that question is there's no agreement there's no agreement at the level of our leadership council. There's not agreement at the level of our church. There's not agreement. And then another factor in all this has been my personal family situation. Um, many of you know my children have some particular medical needs, and so they're high risk. And in the past, our kids, they've had, you know, bouts with the flu that, that ended them up in the hospital. 
And so, you know, regathering, there's a sense I have to weigh the risks of my family um, in all of this. And so I think what it's highlighted for me, um, it's highlighted the fact that in the midst of our circumstances, uh, across the board, there is a spirit of fear. There's a spirit of fear that's taken hold and, and someone compared it to being like in, 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 in the grips of a boa constrictor. It's felt like that, I think for all of us at times. And, and, and it stood out to me as I've talked to many of you on the phone. And as I process this myself, this, this sense of, of fear, and it's fear in every direction. Uh, it's not just fear of the virus, it's, it's fear of what if we don't start gathering yet? Or, or fear of what if we do start gathering yet? It's, 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 it's fear in all forms, manifesting itself in lots of different ways. And so about two weeks ago, um, just the Lord led me to 1 Samuel 13. And so I want to look at that um, just real quickly here with you this morning, because the Lord has been speaking to me through uh, these words. And so in 1 Samuel 13, this is what it says, and the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen and troops. It says like the sands on the seashore in multitude, they came up and they encamped against Israel. The Philistines are the enemy of Israel, right? And it says they're everywhere. They're like sand on the seashore. They're just, they're just everywhere. And that's COVID-19 to me. That, that, I think the Lord was saying, look, this is what it's like right now. You're being attacked and it's everywhere. And so then it goes on and it says, when the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard pressed. In other words, they feel surrounded by this. The people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews, they crossed over the fords of the Jordan back to the land of Gad and Gilead. So, so again, Israel is hiding in caves in the ground because uh, they're not foolish. They don't want to die. They see the Philistines around them and uh, they're afraid. And so that's our world. Uh, we saw this thing and we, we went into our homes. We shut down because of COVID-19, because of this deadly virus. And so then, then it goes on. It says, Saul, who was the king, Saul was still at Gilgal and all the people there who followed him were trembling. And so I, I think this is, this is like the church. This is like apostles, I think, even specifically. We're, we're together, we're following Jesus together. This is our community and we're trying to navigate this, but we, we too have been afraid and with good reason to a degree. <laughs> And so Saul says, this is, this, is, this is what Saul does in response to this. It says, Saul uh, was waiting. It says, Saul waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, the prophet, the, the one who brings the word of the Lord, waiting for seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattering from him. And, and that's us right now, right? We're waiting, we're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting on God to make things clear and, and they haven't become clear. And so we're praying and we're, we're fasting and there's still no clarity. And so in this moment right now, what it feels like is we're starting to struggle. We're starting to, to, to question, we're getting frustrated. We're tired of waiting. And uh, I think in the midst of that, some of us are pushing to get in and some of us are kind of getting a little too comfortable in our PJs on Sunday in, in the midst of the waiting. And, and I think in this, in this, the Lord is saying, look, you're, you're like Saul, David. 
He's telling me you're supposed to lead this group and the circumstances are getting more intense and there's less and less unity. There's a million opinions and it feels scattered, not unified. And so honestly, it's, it's, it's caused me anxiety. It's been difficult. I can identify with Saul in this moment. And then I'm asking the question, what do I do? And that's what Saul was asking here. And and then Saul came to this conclusion. This is what it says. It says, so Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. This is where Saul messes up. He says, okay, I know I'm supposed to wait until Samuel comes. He hasn't come yet. I'm waiting. I'm tired of waiting. Things aren't clear, but I'm going to take things into my own hands. We're just going to offer the sacrifice and we're going to go in to the battle. And so he does. And I feel that, that tension. Lord, am I, am I not moving because of fear? Or am I unwilling to wait out of fear? I feel that tension. And this is what happens. As soon as Saul takes that step to offer the sacrifice without waiting for the Lord, it says, as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattering from me and that you had not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and the Lord has commanded him to be the prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. See, Saul was looking to his circumstances and he stopped waiting on the Lord. And in the midst of that moment, what, what I think happened is he started asking the wrong question, right? He started asking, when do we go into battle? That was the question that pressed in on him. And he got tired of, of waiting. And so he took action and God comes to him through Samuel and says, that was foolish. Now the question is, why was that foolish? Why was it foolish? It was foolish because God had something bigger in mind, God was trying to do something bigger. The real question wasn't, when do I go into battle? The real question was, what kind of king and what kind of kingdom are you going to be? One that trusts me and waits on me or one that takes things into your own hands and tries to will it yourself? And so I think the Lord is speaking that word to us at apostles. He's saying, I want you to wait. I want you to trust me because I'm doing something bigger right now. God wants to do something big right now. You can, you can feel it. You can sense it in the world and in, in our nation. And I think in our church with pandemics and lockdowns and racial unrest, unparalleled events in our lifetime, right? And the question is not, when can we get back into the building the question is, God, what are you doing? The question really is, what kind of church will apostles be? And I think to answer that question, we have to wait on the Lord. 
He wants to teach us something in this moment. As hard as it is to wait, he wants to teach us something. And if we go back into the building, if we go back into the building right now, we'll miss it. And so the Lord is saying, I'm gonna take you in, but not yet, not yet. And so I think God wants to do this new thing and, and I don't want us to miss it. I want us to be in a position where we can receive the new wine and not go back to the old wineskins. And so it's not, can we get back? Can we get back? Can we get back? It's not God saying, go forward, go forward into this new thing. And so then the question becomes, well, what is the new thing? What, what is this thing that we're waiting on the Lord to do? And, and honestly, I, I don't have total clarity about that. But as I've been praying about that, the Lord has taken me to Luke chapter four, where Jesus uh, begins his earthly ministry full of the Holy Spirit. And he stands up in the synagogue and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah. And he says these words, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover, uh, recovering of sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so we, we're in Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit falls on the church. That's us. We are full of the Holy Spirit, the same empowering presence that filled Jesus, the same presence that led him to this ministry to proclaim the good news, to proclaim liberty, to, pr to bring sight to the blind and proclaim the Lord's favor. And so that is the spirit I think that wants to be at work in this moment, to open our eyes and, and to free us, to free us from some things that, that have been holding us back as a church uh, when it comes to God's mission. And so this is, this is where I wanna get into the what ifs. So, <laughs> so what if, for example, what if God's taking away our building because we've made our building an idol? This place is a huge gift, an incredible blessing and testimony to the things that God has done in such a short time through this small group of people. He's done amazing things. This building is a gift, but what if, what if we have started to think of apostles as a group who meets here weekly and not as a community of missionaries following Jesus in our city? See, God is he's disrupting things right now. That is clear. He's disrupting things. He's taking things away. And we have to ask why. Why would the Lord, uh, the Lord allow that? He, he could take the virus and the precautions and all that away in a second we want to be in here and we can't be in here right now. And so the question is why? And what if God is saying, what I want you to do is so much bigger. <laughs> it's so much bigger than what needs to happen in here right now. Jesus said, go make disciples. Jesus said, follow me. And they left their nets and they followed him. Jesus said, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. It's not about getting back to the building. Now, I know we know that the church is not a building. It's not just a, 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 a campus or a facility or a meeting. We know that God's power is not dependent on us being here. But my concern is what if we're acting like it is? See, long before COVID-19 hit, this is something I've been wrestling with. 
we have a, a campus, okay? We, ha- we have this beautiful campus and it's, it's worth three to $4 million. We have a rectory that's worth another million, both located strategically in the Heights, this huge missional opportunity. And yet 80 to 90% of the time, our campus is unused. We use it for two hours on a Sunday morning, which is what we are focused on right now. And, and we're wasting what God's given us. We have a million dollar budget for a church of 250 kids and adults. God has blessed us beyond measure. Incredibly generous givers in our community. But it bothers me, okay? It bothers me that 70 to 80% of that budget right now goes to operating what happens here for two hours a week towards maintaining what we are only using 70 to 80% of the time at most. And so I think, what would it look like if we freed more funds and more energy to minister to people out there instead of maintaining what happens in here? What if we became convinced, in other words, somewhere along the way that that to be a real church, to be a a growing church, an attractive church, a successful church, whatever it is, if we became convinced that what that meant was, the way we would know that's happened is if we had a sanctuary that was full for two hours a week. I mean, could we be the church God wants us to be without a building? I'm not saying we should let go of our building unless God tells us to, but what I am saying is, Couldn't God move through a church without them gathering in a building? Again, I'm asking, what kind of church is apostles gonna be? What kind of church is apostles gonna be? Have we made this place an idol? I think another thing that God wants to speak into this moment and really challenge us with is, uh, is what if what God has done is forced us outside the walls of this building so that we can minister to those beyond the walls of this building. He's pushed us out of the walls so we can minister beyond the walls. I mean, we can't be in here. So where does that leave us? It leaves us outside. It leaves us outside. You you know, here's something that breaks my heart. We have not had a single conversion. We've not baptized a single adult who's come to a saving faith in Jesus in our community in over two years. And that breaks my heart. It should break all our hearts. And we have to ask, why? Why is that? And what if it's because instead of focusing on what it means to be the church outside this place, we're too focused on being the church inside? What if it's because we believe proclaiming the good news isn't our call as a community, but it's, it's David's call, or it's our staff's call, or it's our leadership council's call? It, it, I feel like, we may be drifting towards this idea that if we just get someone to church, then they might come to faith in Jesus. Then they might become part of apostles. And so what if God, what if God is calling you in this moment, part of what's happening is God is calling you full of the Holy Spirit to be the one who goes and proclaims the good news to your friends and neighbors and your coworkers and your classmates. What if he's calling you to be the one to go? What if God's calling us in this moment to be the church outside the walls? 
COVID-19's forced us into our homes, forced us to be present in our neighborhoods in a way that, that we never have before. Why? We have to ask the question, why has God done that? Stand outside your front door today. I just wanna invite you, try this. Stand outside your front door today and just look up and down the street or up and down the hall of your apartment building and just, just ask how many people has God put right around you? How many doors can you see? Each of those doors, God wants to open for you. God wants to open for the gospel through you. See, we don't have to be in here to be the church. We are the church. We don't need to be in here to do the mission of God. He's given the mission to you and to me, to all of us, to go out into our city. And I think we've been blinded because we think church primarily is something that happens in here. And so what if this moment is about God inviting us to be more incarnational? We say we wanna be with Jesus and become like Jesus and do the kinds of things that Jesus did. You know what Jesus did? Jesus took on flesh and he dwelt among us. And we're his body. We are his flesh in our home, in our neighborhood, in our apartment, in our building, uh, office building, in our school. We are Jesus with flesh on, in a sense. And God says to go be with those people, to love them, to walk with them, to, to share life with them, and to earn the right to share the good news of the gospel with them. Jesus loved to do that, and we get to do that. And so what if, what if part of this season is opening our eyes to the fact that we've been too busy to do that, to really connect and really relate? And, and it's not easy. It is costly. It takes time and energy. It may mean having dinner 30 times with a neighbor before you ever get to a moment where a conversation with Jesus is even possible. But what if we need to show people what following Jesus looks like and not just tell them about it? Sharing the gospel it isn't so much about telling them something they, they've never heard. It's, it's about helping change their assumption about what they think it is. We have to change the assumptions by representing Jesus as he truly is to reveal what he's really like. And this means I have to change too. And this is the word the Lord's been challenging me with. I have to change as your pastor. God has not called me to lead your neighbors to Jesus. God has called you to do that. He's called me to equip you to be a missionary in your neighborhood, in your office, in your school. He's called you then to help equip and to encourage others around you to do the same. That's the calling that all of us have. And so what, what, if, what if we became a church like that? What kind of church do we wanna be? What if we became a church like this where people had a vision and a heart where they were pouring themselves out into their own communities and neighborhoods? You know, our nation, our, our city, our neighbors are hungry for spiritual awakening. That is so clear right now for a fresh move of God, for the life, for the spirit to move. And, and we have the spirit, we have life. And the only way they're gonna encounter that is if we're praying for them and if we're opening our door and if we're entering into their world and we're sharing life with them. And so what if gathering here every week became a celebration of that reality? What if every week we could come together and we could talk about and we could celebrate and praise God for what he'd done in, in, in small groups of us gathered in our neighborhoods and in, in the ministry he'd done through us and around us that week. And so that's why we're saying, try this home church deal. You know, it's not to settle for that because we can't do this. 
it's really an invitation, I think, that God has given us to be on mission right where we live. It's an exciting invitation. And, and so what I would say is when you're ready, when you feel safe, okay, when you, when you feel like I can do this with other folks in a way that we all agree on to gather in your home or one of their homes and use the online deal or use part of the online uh, worship service and, and do part of it yourself or come up with something. If you, wanna, if you wanna take that on, I mean, do something. Be the church where you are. That's what we're after. And we can give you resources and support and and that's part of what we're here to do. That's part of my calling. But let's do do something. God is stirring us and let's take this mission beyond the walls of the church. And so I I think that's a big part of what what God is doing. He wants wants us to see ourselves as missionaries and go out beyond the walls. But I think there's something else really important that the Lord wants us to see. And it has everything to do with George Floyd. It has everything to do with Ahmaud Arbery. It has everything to do with the the tens of hundreds of thousands of of our black brothers and sisters who are filling the streets right now, uh, who are laying down on bridges, who are crying out in their pain and suffering. It has everything to do with that. Because the question is for, for us as the church, what are we going to do in response to that? What kind of church, again, are we going to be? You know, I, I watched that video of George Floyd being murdered. I, I don't even remember how many times. And, and it wasn't because I wanted to. It was because I didn't want to. I think the reality is that there's been a lot of things, especially for those of us who are white, there's been a lot of things we didn't want to see. And right now, the Holy Spirit has come to give sight to the blind, to open our eyes to things that have been in front of us for far too long. You know, what happened to George Floyd is it's an affront to the God we worship. George Floyd is, he's not a martyr. He's not a hero. He's a child of God. He's made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. That's who he is, loved by his creator. And he was treated in a way that denied his basic humanity. George Floyd was a victim of murder and injustice and racism at the hands of a Minneapolis police officer. And let me just say, this is not a polemic against the police. We have members of law enforcement in our community. We have uh, HPD officers that keep us safe um, every Sunday when we gather here. There are amazing men and women who work for law and order in our country, and we are grateful for them. And they, they are as disgusted by this as we are. But we have to say there's something wrong with the system here. I think we have to say that. When we have a system that disproportionately fosters conditions of, of poverty and crime and, and poor education, lack of resources, mass incarceration for an entire race of people within our country, something is wrong with that system. We have to acknowledge that. And yes, there's been progress, but there's so much left to be done. I think like a lot of us, I've been doing some serious soul searching over the last couple of weeks. And in the midst of that, I've asked a lot of my black friends a lot of questions. 
And they've been so patient and, and gracious with me. And I've learned, I feel like I've learned a lot of things I didn't know before. So for example, I've learned that there, there's a very good reason that black Americans don't question this narrative that the police would systematically discriminate against them, even while acknowledging not all police officers are racist. And here's why. It's because in their own experience with police and other authority figures, they've experienced a level of discrimination. And so they, they see a George Floyd and they understand, they imagine that that could actually happen in their own life because that's their experience. Another thing I've learned is that whites, and this is generally speaking, whites tend to give police officers and law and order the benefit of the doubt, while blacks assume police officers cannot be trusted and will game the system against them. Again, because of their own personal experiences. I've learned that black and brown people live in two worlds. This, this, was, this was very eye-opening to me. I had two separate conversations with two black men from two different generations who, who independently shared with me about the talk that their, their black parents gave them when they were young boys. Now, it's not the talk about the birds and the bees. That's, I was like, oh, the talk? I was like, what does that have to do with this is This is a talk I'd never heard of. This was the talk their parents gave them about all the things they had to do differently because they were black living in a predominantly white society. It was little things. Like if you go shopping, always, always make sure when you leave the store, you have it in a bag and you have the receipt. Whenever you go into a store, for example, always take your hands out of your pockets. See, Black Americans can't afford, in many cases, not to do things, not to be aware of what they're entering into in a white society. And so I, I think for me and for us, it, it begs the question, what if, what if as, as those who are white, we fail to acknowledge the wide experience of discrimination of so many black Americans? We just failed to do it. And what I did not understand, and I think many white Americans do not understand, is why George Floyd's death caused such an overwhelming response. And here's why. It's because George Floyd is a metaphor to the black community about the black experience in America. It's a sad event like this and so many others that, that resonates with the black community, that capture the imagination of the black community, not because these men or women are, are again, are, are some kind of deserving heroes or martyrs. It's, it's because they are a disturbing and heartbreaking icon, if you will, another image of racism in America. And so, again, I think we have to ask, what if as a white person, I've allowed fear and pride to make all kinds of excuses for turning a blind eye to this kind of suffering? I mean, you've heard them. Racism ended in the 60s. There's not any such thing as systematic racism. It's a few bad apples. I, I don't see color. I don't see racism in my culture. I'm not a racist. It's not my problem. Oh, don't start talking about that. It's the social gospel, social justice. That's not the mission. That's not our problem. But what if it is our problem? What if it's our problem because it's sin and it leads to a measure of suffering for our brothers and sisters, those made in the image of God, and it grieves 
the heart of our Heavenly Father. We are a predominantly white church. We have black and brown members of our community. We have children and grandchildren of color in our church family. And as white followers of Jesus, too many of us have had our eyes closed our eyes closed. We haven't wanted to see the injustice and the racism that they are facing. And we need to repent. And so I wanna say today to to our black brothers and sisters, to to the members of our congregation that, that as your pastor, I see you and I hear you. And that you are welcome here and you are a part, a full part of this church family. And that in this church family, racism has no place. Racism has no place at Apostles. And I wanna say too that I repent for the fact that I've had my eyes closed. Closed to your experience, to your suffering, to the injustice that you faced I repent for perpetuating racism by both my ignorance and my complacency. I repent for not doing all that I can, all that I can to stand with you and for you as members of my flock and as my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I ask that you forgive me. And I wanna ask us as a church family, what if, what if we all, what if we repented? What if we started doing the hard work of listening to the people of color who are speaking and crying out? What if we put ourselves in their shoes? What if we commit to fight with them and for them, to cry with them and for them? What if we get out of our comfort zone, we let go of our fear and we choose to walk with them, to share life with them and mission with them as the church? What if, what if we as, as white followers of Jesus actually use our gifts and creativity and the advantage which we have as white Christians in this culture to actually build up and support and encourage the black community? I mean, we have so many gifted people in our community and so many resources. I mean, what would it look like for us to do some some creative things like incubate businesses or support ministries or foster partnerships? I don't know what it looks like, but there are things that we can do. Imagine what God could do if we we had our eyes opened. And so next week, we're we're gonna gather for another outdoor worship, hopefully in a park here in the city. But I know that my friend Derek Smith um, who's a black pastor of a church plant here in Houston, he's gonna come and he's gonna, he's gonna share his heart and he's gonna bring God's word to us. And I'm so grateful for his willingness to do that and, and it'll be such a gift. So I hope you'll join us next Sunday on the 14th. 
But again, I think, what, what kind of church are we gonna be apostles? That's the question in this moment. And God wants to open our eyes and he wants to free us beyond the walls, both literally and the walls, like the walls of hostility that have come between us and the church. I, I wanna finish up. Um, you know, Martin Luther King once said, uh, basically that the, the arc of the universe, the trajectory of, 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 of the universe bends towards ju- justice. And we, we as followers of Jesus, we, we know that's true because we have a king, King Jesus, and one day he will return and he will make all things new. But, but even now, we know that things are moving that way. That is the direction. That is the call of the church to, to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so that's our hope. Jesus is our hope in this moment. The Apostle Paul said it this way, Colossians 1. He said, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus is the hope for this moment and the hope for apostles. I know things are hard right now. We, we feel scared, we feel stressed, we feel angry, we feel frustrated, we feel all kinds of emotions, but we have hope, which means we have joy. We have joy knowing our hope is in Jesus and that he is doing a new thing, a new thing in his church around the world and a new thing in apostles. But here's the thing, God's not gonna force us. We can say no to what he wants to do. We can close our eyes. We can get behind these walls. We can go back to feeling safe and we can miss out on everything that he wants to do. But Jesus is saying to us, he's saying, it's time apostles. Right now is the time to step out. Don't go back in yet. I'll take you in, but but don't go in yet. I don't want you to miss what's beyond the walls. And the question is, will we trust him? Will we trust him? Let me pray. Lord, we want to trust you. This is about so much more than COVID-19 or the tragic, needless death of, of, of George Floyd. Well, this, this is about your heart. Well, this is about your heart for the lost, your heart for the oppressed, your heart for, for justice and compassion and for the gospel. This is about your heart for the church. And so we just, we ask you, help us to wait on you, to trust in you. And we just say, pour out your Holy Spirit. Fill us to go beyond these walls. We pray this for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.